0: The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Who knows the the, the theme of our message, of our series, spring training. Uh, we're, uh, our school's in spring break this week, but spring training. Uh, when I grew up, growing up, I guess I had a lot of favorite baseball players, but uh, I never was a real fan of Kansas City, but they had one of my favorite players uh, that that played, and I still like him. Does anybody remember any standouts from there? George Brett. Who said that? Yeah, I like George Brett. Uh, this morning, our, our uh, spring training is going to continue getting back to the basics, and uh, the title of my message is Let the Coach Handle It. Now, last week we talked about throwing out uh, – uh, the sins and the false doctrines that were being taught here. And uh, I was disappointed when I stopped showing Pudge. Y'all went, aw, because <laughs> everybody wanted to watch uh, baseball the rest of the time. This morning, take a look at, uh, at some things to do and some things not to do as we think about letting the coach handle it. If you grew up, that was back in the 70s. How many of y'all remember that, something about that? You know, when I was a kid, we'd get out playing baseball, and you know, we're just kids in the in the backyard, and somebody say, "No, you're out!" And we'd run over there and start kicking dirt on them, say, "Hey, you're crazy, you know." And uh, so, I don't know if you saw this, and and this may be a poor analogy. I don't think so. We're going to talk this morning about uh, we have an advocate. We have a, a, a and and when we look at these uh, things, a way not to handle, of course, George Brett. Uh, that's one of the most popular. Uh, calls, I think, in all of baseball, and uh, he goes out, and uh, it's a whole long story behind that, and there's interviews behind it. But you probably didn't notice, that's the same coach. Billy Martin is the one that had the bat. You know, he was, uh, he was an advocate for his team, the Yankees. When Kansas City had beat him on a home run, he went out and, and uh, was buddying up with the umpires, going, hey, man, y'all need to look at the bat." That's the same coach that was kicking dirt on the umpire saying, hey, you missed that play. But one thing that you probably missed in that video, and I have watched it enough that I've seen it, and and Jeremy and I was watching it this morning and talk about it. When Billy Martin walked out on the field, the first thing he did was he turned at his player and he went, you sit down. I don't know if y'all seen that, but if you go back and watch it, you can read his lips. He says, go sit down. And then he starts in with the referee. Of course, he loses it a little bit <laughs> uh, when he starts picking up dirt. If you watch that whole video, when, when he finally walks off, that umpire standing there, and he goes, <laughs> dusts all the sand off his shirt, you know. But but I'm not saying he's the best ideal of an advocate. But in First uh, John chapter two, and uh, we're going to look at some things how John describes Jesus Christ. And when we look at this, in verse 9 of chapter 1, we talked about this last week. John says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that, does that mean that, that that gives us a license to sin? And, and Paul asked that question, and, and he said, by no means... I mean, if we take that and we just read that and say, well, if I just sin and go on with my sin, I just confess to God and He's gracious and He's merciful and, and I'll just live however I want and just go cash in every now and then and, and confess my sins. John says, by no means. No, that's, what I, that's not what I'm saying. And, and we notice also in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, John says this, I'm writing these things that you may not sin." I mean, that was his desire that John makes it clear that that he does not want to have sin in the church and sin in the lives. And remember, he's writing this church. Yet in reality, as long as we're present in these bodies, as long as we're here on earth, we're going to fall short at times. We are going to sin at times. And for for this reason, John begins chapter 2 the way he does. In chapter 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. And, and I, I'm, like I said, I titled this, Let the Coach Handle It. So uh, we, can, we can maybe say we have a, a, a coach or an advocate with the Father, God. And it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. John wants his readers to understand the work of Christ is based on what he has become for us between us and God as an advocate. Christ, uh, Christians can approach God uh, for full forgiveness and full cleansing only through Jesus Christ. So John is describing these things. He uses three different terms. Uh, to, to talk about how it, it's been made possible for us to approach God. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about those three terms. And the first term he uses is the term that, that kind of drew me to these videos. And uh, the term that we talked about a little bit last week is he is our advocate. And if anyone sins, John says, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous. Now that word advocate, uh, parakletos, and, and I want to kind of explain what that means. It, it's from that word paraclete, and, and it, it's a word rider, but listen to what it really means. Someone who comes alongside you to help you. That's what John is describing. So when he says that word, advocate, his readers would have understood that Jesus Christ is someone who will come along beside us to give us help. Now, in a legal sense, and we talked about this a little bit last week, we would think of it as our defense attorney. So we're we're looking, and John says we have someone who comes alongside us when we sin that's going to help us out. Today, we would say he would be our our defense attorney. But here's the interesting thing about this defense attorney that John's describing. He has a whole different uh, 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 direction than usual defense attorneys. Because our advocate, our defense attorney, he comes before Christ and he doesn't maintain our innocence. He doesn't go before God and say, my client is innocent. Rather, he goes before God and he says, my client is guilty. He doesn't look for a loophole or, or something that's, that's out of line that he can say because of these things uh, there's been a mistake made and uh, I'm going to get him off on this technicality and, and I'm going to make these excuses and give you these reasons that he's before you. Jesus Christ comes and says, My client is guilty and he deserves payment for his sins. Therefore, I'm going to be his payment for sin. And, and he says, yes, Father, it's true, they're guilty, but, but look at me, look at my scars, look at what I've done, look at uh, the basis of my shed blood. I'm going to be an, an advocate for them, and, and I've paid their, their price of sin. I, I found this poem called My Advocate, Martha Snell Nicholson, and she does a great job really describing what an advocate is. Listen to what she says. I sinned, and straightway, post-haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God, and he made railing accusations there, accusations there. He said, "This soul, this thing of clay and sod, has sinned. Tis true that he has thy name, but I demand his death, for thou hast said, the soul that sinneth it shall die." Shall not thy conscience be, shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. What other thing can a righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night. And every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose up from God's right hand, before whose glory the angels veiled their eyes, and he spoke, each jot and tittle of the law of Moses be fulfilled. And the guilty sinner dies. But wait! Suppose his guilt were transferred to me, and suppose I pay his penalty. Behold my hands and my side and my feet. One day I was made sin for him, and died that he might be presented faultless before your throne. And Satan fled away, for full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. You know, when we think about an advocate, do you ever wonder how God could accept you? Do you ever wonder how God could look at us and in spite of our sins, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we 've done? how can God accept us and, and the answer to that is because of our advocate because god 's justice was satisfied with his sacrifice, and John is teaching the church that remember, I want to go back and, and remind you what started all this with the the gnostics that had come in and denied that Christ was who He said he was denied that we needed a savior denied that that jesus died and was rose again so john is is continuing to explain this and and he wants us to understand that that's christ's sacrifice because of that no accusations of satan will ever stand if we've accepted christ as our personal savior he who died is our substitute and he lives to be our advocate i want you to think about that jesus christ lives to be our advocate. He lives to be one who comes along beside us. He lives to be one who defends us before the throne of God. You know, the Bible teaches that Satan is before God day and night accusing the brethren. So Satan is there in God's presence, and he's saying, have you watched Jake today? Have you seen what he did? Have you heard these things? And and while that's going on, Jesus Christ is there, and he's an advocate, and he's saying... Those things are true, God the Father, but, but I've paid for those sins, and I've paid those price. I've paid those prices. I, I want to point out just one little thing here in 1 John. John doesn't say, if we confess our sins, we have an advocate. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if we confess our sins. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Now, it may take you a minute to think about what that's saying. And I want to I want to back up and say these. John is talking about Christians who are born again who accepted Christ as their personal Savior. He says not after we confess our sins we have an advocate. He says if we sin we have an advocate. Even before we repent of whatever we've done, even before we repent of of, of brutal words, or the very moment we had an evil thought, the very moment we have done that evil act, Jesus Christ is at the throne of God, and He's in His presence, and He's defending us, He's representing us against Satan. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we we don't have to say, well, okay, there's going to be a point that I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, God, forgive me my sins. Like John says, confess our sins. He's faithful and just forgive us. And at that point, Christ is going to go before God. No. John said, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father and He's defending us constantly before God. And we need to realize that, that God has graciously forgiven us. He's forgiven us at the moment we accepted Jesus Christ and we are completely forgiven. That's great news, folks, because when we're completely forgiven, Jesus Christ becomes our advocate, pleading our case with God the Father. Listen to what Hebrews 7.25 says. It says, therefore, He is also able to save us, Jesus Christ. He is able to save us to the uttermost. That means forever. Those who come to God through Him, Jesus Christ, since He always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Christ lives to do. He lives to defend us, He lives to make intercession. For us and and for us to think about that because of not because of our standing before God, not because of our goodness before God, not because we've got all our life straightened out, but because of Jesus Christ and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have a defender and we stand before God as holy and righteous. That's great news today. We sing a song and it's it's in page four oh six in your hymnal and it's called the solid rock and it says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. And and when we think about what John is describing, he wants the church, and he wants us to understand that we, we understand that we have an advocate who is Jesus Christ. And secondly, he says, not only is he Jesus Christ, he is the righteous one. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ the righteous? And I'm still fighting this same old sickness I've had for three weeks. John calls the Lord Jesus Christ the righteous. Within that short framework of that statement, each of the names attributed to Jesus Christ, they're an essential part of salvation. And uh, in the first place, we we needed a human Savior. Uh, I read a lot of books from uh, Max Licato, and he 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 takes jesus christ and and some of his writings he he explains how he was all man, and when you first start reading him he get he gets so much into he talks about crying and dirty diapers and uh all of those different things and and he's saying jesus christ came and and Jesus Christ was there and and he he would cry when he was upset and and he had to have his diapers changed and when you first start reading that, you think oh, you know we're talking about Jesus here." But folks, we need to understand he was all man, and, and for us to have a savior, we needed someone who was all man because he was going to take man's place. He was going to take the sin of man and take our place as the payment for sin. So, so he had to be all man, and we need to understand that Jesus Christ came, and when he came, he was all man. He was as much man as any of us here. He was all human. But he also had to be divine. And Jesus Christ was divine. The Bible says there's some things we'll not understand inside side of heaven. We may not can comprehend all those things. But it says by faith we know it's true. And, and so we have a, a, a person and no ordinary man that would come and would take the sins of the world. So we have a person in Jesus Christ who came all man. But he also came as the righteous one. I would love to spend some time here, but I don't have time this morning to think about and realize what it means by his virgin birth to know that that human blood, our blood, the blood of the, the Father never went into Jesus Christ. We can talk all about that. We have an ag teacher here. He can tell you about how the 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 bull and the 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 cow. The the bull's blood's never in the the male's blood's never in the baby. It's never a part of that. And 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 that's how we understand that Jesus Christ was righteousness. He was the righteousness of God, and he came and he he paid our price, and and he came as. All man, but he came as the righteous one. So when we think about what Jesus Christ had done and, and realize that, that he was all man, but he was our righteousness, and that righteousness means that, that he was our ability to have a right relationship with God. So as John's teaching this church and he's saying, okay, we have someone who comes along beside us, who helps us, who's our advocate, who's our defense attorney. Not only that, he's our righteousness. He's, he's our ability to have a right relationship with God the Father. And he's teaching the church this. And, and the Bible speaks in 1 Peter 1.19 about a, a lamb unblemished and spotless. Jesus Christ was that perfect lamb our righteousness, and through the blood of Jesus, we find righteousness. Now, here's the third thing that John describes, and he, he describes this, he's our propitiation, and, and he said he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You know, sin is an ongoing problem of mankind. It's an ongoing problem. And we talked about this a little bit last week. You can go back and listen to last week's message if you need to. But uh, he, he is, he is, it's an ongoing problem. And verse 1 and verse 2, that word sin, it, it translates to this word that means to miss the mark. Again, as the readers would have, would have been reading here and, and John would have been talking about sin, he would say, as people, we have missed the mark. We, we had a target out there and we drew our bow or we aimed our rifle or we took our rock and, and we threw at the target and we missed the mark. And John's telling the church, we, we missed the mark, folks. And if you're here today and you are here today and you're breathing and you are breathing, you've missed the mark. And if you can't go back to a time and say, you know, I remember this sin or I remember that sin and uh, we talked about all this last week, if there's no other reason we missed the mark, we inherited it. We inherited a sinful nature from Adam. So, so we all missed the mark. And John's telling the church, because we missed the mark, we have someone here, a propitiation for our sins. Well, let's just talk about that a little bit, because I'm, I'm willing to guess that's not a word that you use on a regular basis. I doubt that you go and you talk about that. So let's talk a little bit about what that means and kind of what it looks like. But before we get there, I want us to think about this. When we think about the shed blood of Jesus, and and I'm talking about what John is doing here, I want you to notice that John doesn't focus on sin. How often do we focus on our sin? What John is focusing on is the Savior. So this morning... I want you to do the same thing. He says, if anyone sins in verse 1, that's, that's talking about a, a, a an ideal and how we would say that today. If anyone sins, and they probably will, that's what John, that's how that, that's how that in the Greek would come out. If anyone sins, and they probably will, we have there's been there's been something made for that. So this morning, as as we're finishing up. Don't think about your sin. Now, I'm not saying you've got to stick your head in the sand and say, well, I'm going to forget about sin. I want you to focus on the Savior. Because John is drawing a picture for this church, and he's saying, here's the picture of our Savior. We have sin, and it's an ongoing problem, and it's something we struggle with. But I want you to focus on the Savior this morning. And he talks about this propitiation. Now, let me give you an example. The Catholic Church, it teaches this, that there's no way to recover a right standing with God. There's no way to recover that without confession and some type of religious act. So I'm sure you've all seen this or heard this before. That system includes confession and in that confession it's anonymous. So they would go into a a booth of some sort and I've never been in there. I've never seen that other than pictures. And uh, through this a uh, screen or this veil. There'd be a priest on the other side, and they would make a confession. Now I've seen all this, but I never really understood all of it. They make the confession, and then the priest says something like, "Go do ten Hail Marys." and And I thought that's what Roger Staubach threw in the in the football game. But these do these ten Hail Marys and these uh, some rosaries or something, you know. Well, I didn't know what that was, you know. I mean, I kind of know what it was, but I didn't really know what it means. What that is, is that priest is saying, okay, you've confessed your sins, and here's your payment for the sins. You need to go repeat this Hail Mary ten times, this prayer ten times, and then you need to do these other three things, and those ten prayers and those three things will be your payment for sin." So they, they lay that out. Here's the, here's the confession. Here's the payment. And through that, we, we are, they, they are earning God's favor. They're earning God's favor because, hey, I've got this great little prayer. God, I'm going to pray it to you ten times. And when you hear it ten times, I've earned some favor with you. And I've, I've, I've got that because of my performance and my religious duty. Now, here's the problem with that. The first problem, it's not biblical. Now, I'm not preaching against any any denomination. I'm just saying that's something we can all understand. But I want you to think about what it's saying. It's talking about earning, performance, and duty. It's putting those three things together. It's saying we want to go before God and we want to be right before God. We need to earn it. We have to perform And Besides, it's our duty. With that not being in the Bible, and remember the the Gnostics, they're falling into that. You know, we talked that first week about how they were talking about the temple and talking about going before God and and talking about all those new revelations that they had. So so John's uncovering those things, and he's saying, "Wait a minute! Here's what Christ is. There's not a a earning. There's not a performance. There's not a religious duty to follow. Christ has has fulfilled these things, and and The thing we do agree with the Catholic Church on is God's justice, it has to be satisfied. That poem we read earlier, it talks about Satan going before God and saying, hey, you said that sinners must die and that that there has to be death because of sin. And Satan says, and I demand that death. Well, that's true. God did say that. And that's true. The payment of sin is death. It tells us that in Romans. But we need to understand that God paid that price through His Son, Jesus Christ. So when it comes to sin, every sin committed by every person must be paid for. Every sin committed by every person, it must be paid for. And it will be paid for one of two ways. Either God's wrath will be satisfied upon the unbelieving for the payment of their sin when we talk about the revelation and we talk about the tribulation period, and it says the wrath of God was poured out upon mankind. The reason it's talking about that, those who denied Christ, those who have never accepted Christ, God's wrath will be poured out upon them, or it'll be poured out upon men, or all those that repent and believe in God, God's wrath has been satisfied through Christ. Amen? His wrath, I mean, his, the payment for sin has been satisfied upon the cross. And we need to understand that, that, that Jesus Christ, He was our propitiation. And He Himself, that is Jesus, for our sins, not only for ours, but the whole Word. So this, this word, propitiation, that, that, that word means to satisfy or to appease. So if we read that and place that definition in there, and Christ Himself satisfies, or is the appeasement for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. You know, the, the, the best ideal of that, a picture of that propitiation, that, that appeasement is found in the Old Testament. And you may or may not know this or remember this, but in the Old Testament, uh, there was a sacrificial system set up. And in that sacrificial system, uh, there was a, a mercy seat. And what the mercy seat was, was uh, if you go back in the Old Testament and you remember uh, during the Old Testament, Moses was given the Ten Commandments and then the people started into the Promised Land and uh, they were given the Ark of the Covenant and inside the Ark of the Covenant, there was the stone tablets given to Moses and, and in that, that, that went into the temple and in the temple and into the, the Holy of Holies and that was behind a veil and no one was allowed into the Holy of Holies. And the lid, the lid to that, to uh, to the uh, to the, the Ark of the Covenant was gold, and that was called the mercy seat. And so so that mercy seat there, it was between the 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 glory of God and the sin of people, and that, that was the seat there. And one time a year there was an atoning sacrifice made for the sins of the, of the children of Israel. The, and, and the priest would come and they would have two goats and they would cast lots and one goat was, was sacrificed, was killed for the sins of, 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 the, of the Jews and the priest went into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. So that when you read that, that's what the mercy seat was. In Leviticus sixteen, fifteen and sixteen it says, Then shall you kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, that's the veil that was there between the, the temple and the holy of holies, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat, so shall be make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So that on that day of atonement, you know what that's called now? Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, however you say that. So you still hear that term. That was the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, a priest would take those two goats. One, they would cast lots, one would be sacrificed. He would go into the Holy of Holies just one time a year. He would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and around it. And then the other goat was called a scapegoat. And the scapegoat, the priest would take his hands, he would place it on the goat, he would confess the sins of of the children of Israel, and the scapegoat would be led out into the desert to wander off and to die. And that was a picture that the sins had been removed from Jewish people, from the children of Israel, and God had forgiven them. Now, there was no forgiveness in that. That was just a part of the law. But it was pointing to Jesus Christ. It was pointing to Jesus Christ as our propitiation, it was pointing to Jesus Christ as our as our appeasement, the satisfaction for our sins. so these folks reading this they would have understood that they would have saw that word they would have they would have heard what John was saying, they would have thought back to the old law and realized that he was teaching that jesus christ he, he is the payment for our sins, he satisfied the need for one to die. In Galatians it says the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. It was simply a a something that we used to see that we've fallen short. We missed the mark. And John's teaching this. So so what's John saying that that what Jesus does for us, every time we sin, he made an atoning sacrifice for one time and for forgiveness of our sins. Folks, if you're a born-again Christian this morning, every sin you've ever committed has been forgiven. Every sin you'll ever commit has been forgiven. Isn't that great? Now, understand this. John's saying, we don't need to go on sinning. I've wrote these things that you may not sin. Paul says, does this give me a license to go on sin? Certainly it does not. But John says, listen, we have victory over sin. It's it's John's desire that that we have victory, that we we have a uh, 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 forgiveness over sin, and we need to work towards that. Romans three twenty five. Paul picks up on this when he says Jesus is our propitiation. Which what John, what Paul was saying is Jesus Christ is literally our mercy seat. That's who Christ is and, and that's who he's teaching here that he's our, he's our, he's our mercy, mercy seat and he bridged the gap between us and God. That's what Jesus Christ done. He made that sacrifice. He paid that sacrifice and he made a way for us to come before God. Now there's two things and I'm closing. There's two, two compelling questions I want to ask you. First, can we as believers have victory over sin? Can we have victory over sin? I want you to think about that. Uh, we, we should have a goal in our life not to sin. If we're truly born again, we're not gonna go on living in sin. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna have a desire not to sin. But in reality, we're still gonna sin. We're still gonna miss the mark every now and then. That's, that's reality. And, and the New, New Testament makes it clear we're no longer slaves to sin. In other words, sin doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have uh, dominion over it. Sin doesn't have a hold on us anymore. When we've accepted Christ, we, we've defeated sin, and Christ defeated sin. So when we sin, it's important for us to understand, we choose to sin. It says in the Bible, when we sin, we're drawn away by our own selfish desires. We make that choice. But John is saying, we, we, he, 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 he wants us to choose not to sin. He wants us to strive not to sin. But when we do, we have someone who goes before, who pleads our case. He's the righteous one. He's the one that fulfilled the need for, for the death of, of sin. He fulfilled those needs, and he wants us to understand. Romans six twelve through 14, Paul states this. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you might obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as being instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law." But you're under grace. See, Paul wanted us to understand that that it, it should be our desire not to sin. We, we should present ourselves uh, not to unrighteousness and sin, but we should present ourselves to God as being dead from sin. When we have baptism up here and we say we're buried with Christ, our old life, our old our old sinful nature is buried with Christ, and we're raised to walk in a newness of life. That's what Paul's talking about here. We've been our old self's been buried. And we've been brought up from the dead and present us ourselves as the righteousness of God. So can we be complete without sin? We're going to stumble, we're going to fall, but we have victory over sin. Here's the second question. How could a loving God send people to hell? I remember one time I, I was in a Bible study here at the church and uh, I think it was a Wednesday or Sunday night and, and I, before I could answer that, Patsy Wick said, he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it come out like that. He doesn't. We make that decision. And she's exactly right. A loving God doesn't send anyone to hell. He, he, is, our, he is our propitiation. He, he is the one who, who came and said, you know, I'm making a way. I'm making a way that you'd have eternal life. I, I'm making a way that you can, you can spend an eternity in heaven with me. And Jesus Christ says, if, if you go to hell, it's because you've climbed over my dead body and, and you've climbed over my shed blood and you've climbed over my resurrected body because here's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I, I'm patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? It's, we're out of time, but I, wanna, I want you just to think about those, those two questions. We're to die to our old self and it should be our desire, our struggle that we'd strive to live in holiness. You know what? We cannot do that in our own power. I cannot do that. But only through Jesus Christ do we have victory over sin. When I sin and I sin every day, it's because I want to. It's because my evil desires and I'm drawn away by that. But you know, at that very moment, I have an advocate. And as Satan stands and accuses, I have one that stands and says, you know, I paid for that sin. I've taken his sins upon me, and I paid the price of death that's demanded. And this morning, if you would say, you know, I, I try to be a good person. I can't believe God would, would let, let somebody just go to hell. You know, he doesn't. The Bible says his Holy Spirit strives with our spirit. The Bible says his Holy Spirit woos us and calls us and we give him an answer. He's too much of a gentleman to force Himself upon us but he gives us an invitation. He opens the door and says, you know what, I want you to come. I want you to accept my forgiveness. I want you to accept my covering. I want you to accept my payment. My death for your sins. And through that, you can have a right relationship with God. Through that, you can have, a, have that defense attorney. Through, through that, we can understand that uh, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do or what we can earn, but it's simply about saying, God, I'm just coming to you, and I'm trusting only in your righteousness, only in your blood for my life. Father, I pray this morning as we... Just consider where we are in you, Father. I I pray that we as Christians would leave here, and Father, we would leave here with joy in our heart, with an understanding of not concentrating on our sin, but concentrating on our Savior, knowing that at that very moment that Satan accuses us, we have one who stands for us, comes alongside to defend us. Father, I thank you also that you don't leave us, you don't abandon us, you don't Forget us, but Father, you are the hound of heaven. You, you follow us, you, you seek us out, and you call us into yourself. And Father, today I pray that if we're here today, we feel the Spirit of God calling us, drawing us into you, I pray, Lord, that we would surrender, that we would allow ourselves to follow you. Father, I pray today that we'd make a decision to follow you, wherever you would lead us. I pray this during this time of invitation in Jesus' name.